Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. You've come to the right place. This message is a message, first of all, to the whole world. But I am going to refer you this time to the fact that almost all the videos on my site at loverealize.com do have a message at the beginning that's between 20 and 30 minutes that is a message to the whole world. And also, I do have at my website at ultimatemeaning.com a video there, the most recent one, that is even far more in-depth, including a flip book that you can read with very original writing uh, with many unique answers that answer very hard questions. And there is in that flip book that I've written a lot of print that's highlighted in red and those are links to exact locations and YouTube videos of things that are very profound and amazing that most of the public don't know anything about highly confirming from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing here. So I just briefly want to share with those generally from any background that this message is about what is the very source of reality, of creation, and the very reason for which all things consist and exist, including yourself. It's not some religious thing to believe in that isn't based in objective reality. It is confirmed very strongly by objective reality and also very strongly by subjective experience as well as people totally transformed. Some of the cruelest, most wicked criminals becoming saints, etc., etc. And so I just want to share with those generally that this message is about the one true God for whom to know is life eternal. And the only way you can come to know God is through acknowledging who he could only possibly be, to be God. And your conscience that we all are born with innately knows what is good from what is not good. It is suppressed by twisted, hell-contagious, anti-life, anti-existence, death, emanating beliefs that exist and claim to be from God. But we know, obviously, the fruit is the fruit that is hell-contagious, that is anti-life, that results in a destiny that is worse than non-existence because of choosing to take on that belief. Why would you choose to believe such things that are so destructive and hell-contagious to what is innately known by your conscience to be good? So when we choose to believe who the one true God could only be, what does your conscience tell you about that?
What do you innately know is good? You know this. You know that God, first of all, is good because he is love, a love that has integrity, that is pure. Is his love impure? No. Does his love have a measure of corruption in it? No. His love must be very pure. It must be the highest form of love, which is a quality that will always choose the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Obviously, any lesser choice would have a measure of corruption in it. No, this love is so pure, it is so integrous, that as it were, it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this quality that freely chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. This love will not condone the slightest of what is less than this quality that chooses the highest lasting good. This love is the destroyer of corruption, which is the opposite of love, and is the destroyer of all that is good. That is the first aspect of this love, that is the being of the one true God, that is the very source of reality. He is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love, and obviously this love must be totally pure, and it will not condone what is contrary to love. And the other aspect of this love, in its perfection that I've just described, is its ultimate expression in its perfection. And what is that ultimate expression? It is that this love is so great in the being of God that God can be merciful to us who choose because we were created with the capacity to love and thus we are self-originating and self-responsible. He created us with the capacity to choose and in that capacity you can make choices that are against this ultimate reality that is the immovable foundation of all there is, and of creation. And so this love is so great and ultimate in its perfection that God could take judgment upon himself because of our rebellion against him, against his being of love. He is so great that he could take judgment upon himself on your behalf so that you could choose to repent and call on God to have mercy on you and to forgive you and be reconciled to God. Yes, God became a perfect, atoning, substitutionary sacrifice in reality in this time and space world through Jesus Christ, who is the one and only full expression of the being of God into, the time and, into this time and space realm, into this creation realm. And so I just want to mention this as well. God is almighty, 
also because he can be in three personages. He's not three gods. He's one God and three personages because he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence. And those aspects are what? Beyond the creation realm, beyond time and space, in the creation realm is the second aspect, and filling all dimensions of existence and time within this creation realm and beyond. In omnipresence is the third aspect. So you have God must be in personage to be in and over those three aspects that are the ultimate aspects of existence. If he wasn't, he wouldn't be in conscious intelligence in it or over it. Therefore, he wouldn't be in personage. Because that's basically what I mean when I say conscious intelligence. So God, as the Father, meaning originator, sees the end from the beginning, it's beyond the time and space realm, is fully expressed through the Son. The Son is the full expression of the perfection of the being of God and the one and only full expression of the perfection of the being of God into the creation realm to experience it with his creation, to communicate with his creation. And yes, he came. and became a perfect atoning sacrifice on the cross. The whole human race existed in Adam. That's obvious. We all came from Adam and Eve. And he lived a perfect life when he came to this world because of his loving union with God the Father, because he is God in the creation realm. Even though he was tempted in all points as we are, he was tempted and never sinned. And because of that, he could become a perfect, atoning, substitutionary sacrifice as he did on the cross. He humbled himself more than you, suffered more than you, the creator of the universe, on the cross and he rose again from the dead and his death was prophesied in detail over a period of well over a thousand years before he came and there have been four lawyers that were upset that their wives were converted to Christianity that set out to write books to disprove the resurrection of Christ and in the process were converted because the evidence was so great but this was not just something that happened from the time of Christ and on, which is the center mark in history. This message was preached from the time of Adam and Eve. In fact, it existed before the world was created, not just as a capacity in God, but as a reality that already had happened. And what is that message? That there is only one God, and that he has the power, and he only, to forgive sins. And this one true eternal God is not so small that he can't communicate with his creation. And his love is not so limited that he can't be, become a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice as he did on the cross. His love is that great. And for you that think, oh, how dare you relegate God to just a human being, what blasphemy? No, what blasphemy that you think God is so small that he can't do that? That he doesn't have that great a love? 
that he isn't that powerful. You are the one that is limiting, limit, limiting God and having an idolatrous, blasphemous, monotheistic concept of God. And if you want to choose to believe something that is filled with hate and merely a religiosity that isn't reality, that is your choice. But that will send you to eternal torment. Because you are rebelling against who God is. God is love. And the second aspect of his love is that he is so great in his love that without violating the integrity of his love that requires judgment, he could take judgment upon himself for you. And that was a reality before even the world was created. It even says in the Bible that Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world, before the world was created. It wasn't just a capacity, it was a reality. Jesus Christ even said when he was here in the world that he was in heaven at the same time as he was on the earth. Now, we can't understand that, but there are many planes of time. That is evident in the afterlife. And I've written a book on the afterlife showing all the powerful scientific evidence on the afterlife. It's called Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. Six by nine, large paperback, 368 pages. You can get it in Kindle on Amazon as well for your di digital devices. And I can't go into talking too much. I wasn't going to give a long message to the world, but I end up doing it because maybe God wants me to do it this way. And so I share this good news. Yes, God is that great that he can come onto this little speck of a planet and communicate, not only communicate in the midst of this vast universe, but do what he did. And yeah, this universe is tremendously large, and I could go into describing how large it is. It is incomprehensible and vastness. That's how great God is. I mean, the James Webb Space Telescope, a hundred times more powerful than the Hubble Space Telescope. We know light travels around the world seven times in one second. It takes about four years to get to the closest star, which is like our sun. We're living in the Milky Way, a galaxy, with 200 to 400 billion stars like our sun. You know how many light years it would take to cross this galaxy? I don't know. I forgot what it is. It's probably in the thousands of years. And there's billions of galaxies. Do you know how they, and, and the James Webb Space Telescope and all these telescopes, they can't see the end of the universe. But of all they can see, they know for every grain of sand, there's at least a thousand stars. That for every 8 billion people upon this earth, they would have 18 to, what is it, 18? Or is it 80 trillion stars to each person? And they can't see the end of it. Yes, that's how great God is. And there are stars that are a thousand times bigger than our sun. And I could go in and explain a lot of things. There are Christians that went to heaven and said that they... God showed them that there was life on other planets. They might be angelic beings or whatever. I know in heaven... They say that only one quarter of the angels look human-like. From people that have been dead, verified dead by medical equipment and doctors. One for almost 
two hours, Dean Braxton, for example. He describes that. Oh, there are many mysteries. I don't have time to explain those things here. I'm just giving you the general message. Yes, God's love is that great, and only this love could be entrusted with unlimited authority and life and power without being corrupted by it, or using it in a corrupt way, thus indicating that he is the very source. Only this could be the very source of life eternal, and of all creation, and of all that is good. And only this love could ensure that there is a destiny of heaven that is so great and of such a pleasure that it is beyond comprehension in this very limited physical dimension. As you know, particle physics reveals up to 10, possibly more than 10 dimensions, and all the dimensions beyond the third are far superior. And when people go and they die and they go into this other dimension, they experience a realm that's far more real than the physical. One compared it to 2D paper compared to 3D. Well, that's how much greater the comparison is of going into this other dimension compared to the physical. It is magnitudes of times more real. I could go on because I have it all in my book and what people say. And of course, time and time again, when they're totally known to be dead, they tell the doctors in detail what they were doing, what they were talking about, the music they were playing, what their family was saying down the hall or three miles away. But they could have never known because they were dead for a long time. Verified, flat brain reading, no heartbeat. Like Dean Braxton for 90 minutes, or actually more than 90 minutes, almost two hours. And others, many others that are in my book. Check it out. It's worth getting. Get on your digital vice device. This is good news. It is good news to know that you can be reconciled to God. I could talk for a lot longer on all of these things, but I'm here to address those that have come to know the one true God through Jesus Christ who is God fully manifest in human form, who took judgment upon himself for us so that we could choose to repent and cry out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Come into my, my life and be the central treasure of my life. I make you the center of my life. I make you the Lord and the Savior of my life. Cleanse me of all my sins through your blood. Forgive me of all my sins. And he will. And he will come and dwell by his spirit. He will indwell you. Christ said in the word when he was on earth here, if you read John, he says there in the epistle of John, he says, whoever believes with their life into me out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And that's my experience. I experience the indwelling, soothing presence of the river of life in me. It's a very real experience. And I'm addicted to a life of much prayer because I love to be. There's nothing more fulfilling than experiencing the subjective and dwelling presence of the Spirit of God within you. Nothing satisfies you, the core of your being, but that. You were created for that. 
you have a God vacuum in you that will only be satisfied by repenting of all the things you've been grasping onto that can be used as manipulative bait by people and the powers of darkness behind them to destroy your life. Where your heart is, there is your treasure. Make God the treasure of your heart. The God that I'm describing, who is the one true eternal God, whose love is so pure that it will not tolerate sin, but so great that he took judgment upon himself for you, and he is able to give you the strength to overcome all the things that are so temporal. They are lying vanities. As it says in the book of Jonah, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. So are you observing lying vanities? Do you choose to observe some temporal bait that can be used against you? That is a delusion and will never satisfy you? Or are you willing to make that choice and call out unto God from the depths of your being? and see him bring you into a life that is abundant even in this world. It may be adventurous. It may be that you go through many trials, but you will see him bring you through and give you the strength to overcome all things. It's not in you, it's in him that dwells in you that you overcome. Now I'm going to go in and just share now with those that are true Christians, what God is saying by his spirit in this time to the churches, especially across the United States and Canada at this particular day and time, and also to the churches around the world. And so I seek God because it says in the word of God in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And that is what I will seek to do. I will seek to allow God by his spirit to speak through me. We are, as Christians, to always be seeking to do that. Not only when we gather together to edify one another, but also when we're speaking to anyone. We are to seek to allow God's goodness and blessing to come out of us with our words to help those. Sometimes it may be a word that has to reprove evil out of love. Humility and love with authority and boldness and courage to not even love our life unto the death. And that's only by God's grace that we can even do that like Christ did. Yes, God loved us so much to lay down his life. And he wants us to love one another the same way. So one of the things I do to facilitate allowing God to speak through me is I seek to be in a heart set and a mindset of worship because it does say in Revelations 19.10, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, when I have a heart set of mind and mindset of worship, when I worship God, in spirit and in truth, out of great reverence and humility and love for God, I am filled with his spirit in an overflow that can result in creative utterances beyond myself. And so I will seek to keep myself in a heart set and a mindset of worship to release the spirit of God to speak what he's saying to the churches of this particular day and time. And the other thing I do 
to facilitate that is I cast lots before God with great reverence using an independent application on the internet. Right now I'm using the random Bibleizer. There's a number of them there. That one I like them quite a bit because I know for sure it's going to be 100% random because of the way it works. And I received two chapters seeking. I cast the lot before God to receive two chapters from God after I have separated that application from all defilement through the blood of Christ and prayed with great reverence and alertness. I don't want to do it half asleep or it doesn't work. You have to do it with great reverence. And I received two chapters that I may discover the common theme in those two chapters. And without preparation, I begin to speak from my heart to allow God to speak. Otherwise, the intellect gets in the way. But I want God to come forth and to speak what he is saying by his spirit to me and to the churches. So I don't know what I'm going to share because I have done this throughout the week. I'm going to be touching on the various things I received the whole week, and it never ceases to amaze me how... There is such an amazing common theme between the various chapters. It is way beyond coincidence. Oh, I've had Christians accuse me that are religious. Oh, that's divination. No, it is not. How dare you say that? When it was practiced a lot by the Church of Israel before the time of Christ, by Moses, by Joshua, by many, King David, so on and so forth, extensively. In reverence before God, it was used by the early church to choose one of the apostles. It was used by powerful movements of revival like the Moravians, even to choose their own wives. I'm not telling you to do that. Of course, unless God was truly leading some church to do that. But it works only when people are walking in a close relationship with God and it's done with great reverence. It's not divination when you are a man and a woman of God, and you're seeking to hear from God like David did coming before the ephod, the young Urim and the Thummim. In this case, just to receive from his word what he is saying to facilitate speaking as the oracles of God. And it's synergistic when two chapters come together like that and you discover the common theme over and over again. Now, before I do that, I also cast lot to receive a worship song, and that's what I did this time, and I received a worship song by the casting of lot. Out of 1,080 songs, this is the one that came on today that I found on YouTube. It has the words. You can use it on an overhead projector, so I am going to uh, bring it up now, and we're going to sing this worship song before I get into what God is saying by His Spirit to the churches by the casting of lot before God from his word and through seeking to speak as the oracles of God, as the word of God commands us. And so I'm going there right now, and I will minimize myself in a brief moment here once I have this ready. So here we go. <laughs>
meets our every He does satisfy. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. He meets our every need and satisfies continually. You know, people, as much as all of what we just sung is true, there are those that have gone through great tribulation. And let's face it, this whole world is filled with suffering. Everyone suffers in some measure. Oh, I suppose those that want to sell their soul out to the devil and buy into all of his manipulative baits to satisfy themselves temporarily. Maybe they don't suffer many more. But generally speaking, whether one believes or not, there is great suffering that comes eventually as you get older and so on to most people. Oh, sometimes people are killed instantly and they hardly experience anything because it's an instant death. And maybe they lived a healthy life the whole time. It is up to God. He knows and foreknows everything and every atom where it will be, and every person's life in detail. Oh, I could, I know that brings up a lot of questions in people's minds, and I don't have time here to answer all those questions. But if you get a book like the one I told you about on the afterlife, which you can buy on Amazon from me, it answers many questions. And there's also a lot of questions answered in my flip book at ultimatemeaning.com. Well, I want to share with you that even when people like the heavenly man, Brother Young, known, you can look him up on YouTube. You can listen to his whole book and how he was tortured by the Chinese Communist Party for so many years. and Total miracle how he escaped. Supernaturally, the prison doors open and Guards can't see him in broad daylight. He walks right out. Totally impossible to happen. Totally, the whole thing is miracles beyond comprehension and actually did happen. He escaped to Europe, even was talking to top government officials in the United States, showing them all the torture of his, you know, what he went through. And, you know, people, if you read that book, you'll... But that man knew an inner satisfaction, the satisfaction that's talked about in that hymn. He knew victory in the midst of the greatest suffering you could imagine. He went on a, a fast that lasted, I believe it was 74 days without food or liquid. That's impossible to do in the natural. And while he was on that fast, they were torturing him. They threw him into the sewage of all the men's fecal material, many terrible things while he's on this long fast. That's just a bit of what happened to him. And everyone's saying he's not gonna last till the morning, he's gonna die, and they're all betting, Muslims and everything. And he's like hardly human looking and so skinny. And suddenly the power of God comes on him and he gets on a stool and starts preaching to them. And they all get converted. How could he stand up and have all that energy and say all these things when he's on the verge of death? He had his legs both 
smashed to bits with sledgehammers so he couldn't walk. Suddenly he can stand up and walk and he walks out of that prison. That's a true story by a man that fears God and would never lie. The genuine fear of God reciprocates God first in the integrity of his love and acknowledges that his severity on corruption, on sin and death is just and right instead of rebelling and saying, God, why did you do all of this? And beginning to have a, a perception of God that's like some tyrant and dictator that demands appeasement. No, we don't see God that way. That's an idolatrous perception of God. We see God as good and that his judgment, the consequences of suffering are because of our choices and rebellion against God. But his purpose is to reconcile us to him and to teach us through all the suffering he go through to abide in him once we've received him so that we are conformed more and more into his image to know that inner satisfaction of the presence of God, of inner reality dwelling in us. And I want to share with you now the scriptures that I've received this week. It's amazing how you get these scriptures. And so I start with Monday. And on Monday I received 3 John 1 and Isaiah 59. And the only reason I got 1 John 3 was because I finished earlier with my half-hour meditation. I wanted to see more of what God had to say, and of course it all came together. But both of these chapters, the first two, both of these, uh, emphasize the word truth and the absolute importance of walking in it and standing for it. Now, if you look up in various dictionaries the definition of the word truth, it is basically defined as that which is real. So you look up the word reality and real in various dictionaries, and it's basically defined as that which is indestructible, immovable, absolute, and never changes. Of course, I can emphasize from what I've already said in the introduction that the first aspect of the being of God is represented in the negative symbol, which represents an indestructible foundation and the cutting off of all corruption. And from the negative symbol is formed the positive symbol, which is also the symbol of the cross, which is that God took judgment upon himself on our behalf so that we can have the most unspeakable positive future that you can imagine. It says in the Bible, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man. What God has prepared for those that love him. Do you want to love your creator when you know him as being so integral that he will not tolerate corruption and it's so great that he would lay down his life for you? Do you know that when Dean Braxton, you can look him up on YouTube, Braxton is spelled B-R-A-X-T-O-N, just type in NDE, standing for near-death experiences, and Dean Braxton. You'll see all kinds of YouTube videos. Highly confirmed as dead, this man, by medical equipment and doctors. What he saw in heaven. He was standing before Jesus Christ in heaven. Because out of the greater light of God the Father comes Jesus Christ, and this is very common experience of people to die. 
this light that is more personal to you and those that are close to God see him in great detail. And he's standing before Jesus Christ. And the love in that other dimension that is far greater than the physical dimension, far more real, was so intense and so great that he said there's no way in this physical dimension you could possibly describe it or even come close to describing it. And he knew that the love and intensity of love that he was coming from Christ, from his whole being, from his feet, as he was first bowed before his feet and so on, and finally looked into his eyes, which were filled with such beauty beyond comprehension that there was worlds within worlds of beauty as he looked into his eyes, of love radiating out of his life eyes beyond comprehension for me to put in words. He knew that if he was the only one God created, that God would have come to this world and humbled himself more than him, suffered more than him, just so he could choose, have the ability to choose, to repent and call out to God for mercy and be reconciled to God and come into his family and have fellowship with God forever, which goes on without end. He knew that. And others have said the same thing, such as Dale Black, and there are many other names. Those are some of the ones I have in my book on the afterlife. So here in 3 John, we read... So I've described, you know, what reality is. God is reality. You know the word Yahweh, which is the word in the Old Testament for the word Lord, like it often says the Lord God. Well, the word Lord is usually in the Hebrew, Yahweh or Jehovah, some pronounce it, but Yahweh is more accurate. That word basically means the ultimate reality, separated above and beyond creation, the I am that I am, the source of reality. The second word, which is God, is often the word Elohim, which literally in the Hebrew, that word Hebrew word Elohim means the Almighty's, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that I just described. In personage, functioning in those three ultimate aspects of existence. But here we have the word truth, and I've explained what truth is. It is who God is. It is his being. You can liken it unto a diamond glass that has no cracks in it and can hold unlimited life and power and authority without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way, or water that cannot leak out compared to a broken cistern that has cracks in it and it dissipates because those cracks represent corruption. And God says of Israel, when they fell away from God into idolatry, he says, you have hewn for yourselves out broken cisterns that can hold no water. But Christ says, whoever believes with their life into me out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And we read here in 3 John 1, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, the reality that is in thee, God that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk or live their life out in the reality of God. 
Their life isn't being manipulated by the baits of this world. They are being led by the Spirit of God to do things often that deny the selfish tendencies within our fallen nature so that they are put to death and the new nature swallows up that and overcomes it so that we grow into a greater and greater identity in God. And so to walk in the truth is to walk in an abiding relationship in God that causes us not to be led by the natural thought process and the natural desires that can be used to manipulate us. We begin to be led in a realm that transcends the natural, the ultra-real permanent realm, I call it in my book, which is the spiritual realm, which is far more real than the physical realm. We go on and we read this in 3 John. Of course, he's describing someone that isn't walking in the truth. He describes this person. And he goes on to talk about the truth here. Because that for his name's sake, they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. The truth. What is really reality? That is actually real. That isn't a lie. That isn't some religion just to believe in. But is actually reality. I wrote on the, onto the church and here's someone not walking in the truth. But Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, pratting against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, would, and casteth them out of the church. So you got some guy that got into power that doesn't have a right relationship with God, and he's becoming a little dictator over everyone. And the question is whether people are going to put their identity more in him or in their relationship with God. Beloved, follow not that which is evil. Obviously, he is evil, but that which is good. It's in your conscience knows what's good from what's bad. He that doeth good is of God, and God is love. When we do good, it is evident that what we're doing is out of love. We're seeking the highest good of others, even over our own desires. We're learning to lay down our lives out of love for God that causes us to love others to that degree. But he that doeth evil hath not seen or has not perceived God. When you don't have a right perception of God, when you have an idolatrous perception of God, either monotheistically or polytheistically or atheistically, of some space creature that you believe caused everything to be created or whatever it is. You do not know love. And you will not have that love that can overcome evil with good. And so we read, Demetrius hath a good report of all men and of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record and ye know that our record is true. 
Now, the other passage I got on the truth, it was in Isaiah. And it says this, none calleth for justice, nor any politeth for truth. That's Isaiah 59, verse 4. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Are we living in a time when this is happening? We certainly are. People are afraid to stand for truth because they are, there are so many people now that have been corrupted and that will threaten you and say, we're going to do all kinds of terrible things to you. We're going to destroy your reputation or even threaten to kill you in some cases. And this is happening to innocent, righteous, good people. More and more so. <clears throat> and so we see the manifestation of the sons and daughters of darkness and the sons and daughters of light becoming more evident around the world. We see what is absolutely insane happening. Children. Look, it's happening to the children what they're trying to do to children. It's like Satan hates God's creation and he's trying to destroy uh, people from having a family and having wholesome children. It's pretty obvious. It is absolutely demonic and insane. And yet there's all these people that because they can be bought off with money or threatened or whatever it is, they all fall into line because they don't know the truth. If they knew the truth and had reality in their lives, they wouldn't be led. They'd be willing to lay down their life for what is right at any cost. If you really know the truth, it's not that hard to lay down your life because your treasure is not in the things of this world. Your treasure is in what is ultimately real. But if your treasure is in the temporal things of this world and when they crumble around you, you will crumble with it. You'll commit suicide. Because your identity in your heart is really, even some people can call themselves Christian and, and love hearing wonderful messages, but their heart has not come to a place of true, deep conversion where they've let go of the temporal delusions that they desire and that motivate them and override those motives that are pure, that should be the motives that are the main motive in their lives. People can deceive themselves. It says in the word of God that we are to guard our heart because out of it are the issues of life. And when you know a love relationship with God, you are bold and fearless as a lion in the face of wickedness. You're not afraid to reprove the fruitful, unfruitful works of darkness but you do it out of a right spirit of humility that has also authority with that humility. We go on and we read. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Truth. We're seeing that right now. We're seeing it as never before in the world. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. Haven't we seen that? People take a stand. They're not going to compromise with all the rot 
and corruption and what happens to them? They become a prey. Look at what's happening in the States. People are being put in jail for taking a stand against things in their high schools that are an absolute insanity and abomination and are destroying their children. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and an helmet of salvation upon his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the islands he will repay recompense. And then it says this, So shall they Fear thy name, the name of Yahweh from the West. Now that has to be speaking of North America. I do believe God in these last days is going to return people to the genuine fear of God. Where there's great humility and great integrity in our hearts before God. It is only when there is integrity and humility in our hearts and a right identity with God that we can rise up out of that relationship with God with power and authority that is not ours, but his authority in us. But it revolves. It happens when we fear the being. The name of the Lord is the being of the Lord. It is who he is expressed to us, and he is expressed to us first in the integrity of his love, that he is holy, that is, the defensive aspect of his love. And we see that and reciprocate it, not as some dictator, but as good, because God requires judgment and ensures that there can be goodness without corruption that can go on forever in a destiny called heaven, which is his ultimate purpose for free will beings. Yes, when you create beings with free will, there's a capacity for hell. There's a capacity to make wrong choices. But God has worked it out so that we can be reconciled to him. Such creatures as us in this world. And so the Lord says here, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. What is happening right now in the world, and especially as we see it unfolding in the United States and where I am here in Canada, is the enemy coming in like a flood. And he is coming in through the borders, terrorists galore. He said 100,000 Chinese young men military age, many of them in the military probably sent by the Chinese Communist Party. All of that going on. Being allowed. The flood that is happening in the educational system. Brainwashed with hell contagious, anti-life death emanating. Belief systems. 
that destroy people's lives as individuals and delude them and cause them to, to, to destroy everything around them and bring in oppressive dictatorships that will destroy the world population because they want to rule everyone with a small population? Oh, man, it goes on. I won't get into it too much. But the Lord shall lift up a standard against them. And you know what that standard is? It is when the church across Canada and the United States and around the world repents of being drunken and insensitive and asleep by the loves of this world and comes into a new order that will not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from an inhabiting their local congregation, their local gatherings. Your house should be a house of prayer. But many people, there's hardly anyone that comes to the prayer meeting. And so I ask you, forget about pre-service prayer meetings. You make your main church service start as a house of prayer. You get on your faces before God. This is the new order. Get conscious of Christ in your midst more than anything else through prayer, through being in awe of whose presence you're in. Become conscious of him in your midst so that you tremble to say anything with presumption and lightness before God. For it says in Ecclesiastes, be not hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be for you. God is calling the church in this hour to come back to the truth. The truth is the right relationship with God that fears God, that allows the being of God to be birthed in us in fullness. And us brought into that conformity to who God is, for God is truth. And the truth is those two aspects of love that I described. The integrity of his love and the mercy of his love that brings forth also the grace of God. But when we have the genuine fear of God, there is within us birthed a great humility as we realize how undone we are in the light of how holy it is in contrast to the tendencies of corruption in our being. And the genuine fear of God, that humility drives us to the place of honesty and transparency to have true repentance before God. And the honesty and transparency out of the fear of God drives us also to the place of humility. So that our identity is not in the leader, like in the case of John here, where a leader took over that was corrupt. Our identity is more in our relationship with God. Our identity is not more in fearing being rejected by one another or being misstood by one another, but being who we really are as individuals. You see, what a denominational mindset does is it tries to conform people to one another so that they are like a bunch of bricks that are the same because their identity is more in their relationships with each other than in their relationship with God. They fear rejection from each other more than their relationship with God, of displeasing God. Genuine unity does not destroy individuality. It causes a beautiful mosaic of unity with individuality. 
And the genuine fear of God does that. So we read here, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. And I could go on. There's, I could, there's just too much to, to read here. It, it talks, when I cast lots and I got First John 3 as the third one, it was about the truth too. It says, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart doesn't condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. So don't let your heart condemn you. Recognize that God knows your heart better than you do and just confess any sins and repent of them. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. That we should believe on the name and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the being of who the Son of God is, on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, because we see how he loved us through Christ. God expressed his love to us through Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ dwells all the fullness of the Father and the Holy Spirit, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. That's the commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And this is how we know that he abides in us. By the Spirit. We can experience. We experience it when the Spirit dwells in us. Now that's just money. How in the world am I going to preach every day of the week here? On video, it'll be very long. But I want to go on because I want you to understand what God is saying in this hour to the churches. On Tuesday, by the casting of Lot, I received Leviticus 24 and Hebrews 9. Now, both these chapters describe the holy place with the showbread and the candles. Hebrews 9 emphasizes the holy of holies as indicating the coming of the perfect sacrifice of God himself. This sacrifice only happened once for this world. Now I have made something here that's just kind of a side note and it's not a major focus but it's just to answer hard questions and it's very hypothetical and not a dogma. But it's just the possibilities because the ultra real permanent realm, these other dimensions, is so much greater than the physical dimension that there can be things that we don't fully understand on this side. And this just might be an answer to some that have asked such questions. So, in these passages here, we read, This sacrifice only happened once for this world, as I've written here, and also for all things it applies to in the heavens. If there is indeed life on other planets, as some Christians who have died said God revealed to them. It's not an issue whether you want, but when you think of how small this earth is in the midst of such a vast universe, and you know that man will never get to the closest star, you know. He would never reach life on another planet anyhow. And I would say that UFOs and all that stuff are demonic manifestations from another dimension, no doubt about it. Now, thus, if done in another world, what if, so how would people be reconciled to God in another world, I'm saying here? 
it would have been the same event that only happened once before the universe was created beyond the time and space realm and God. Most likely other worlds contain beings like angels that this would not apply to. If carried out in another galaxy and world, through the circumstances and beings involved, though the, though the circumstances and beings involved would be different, it would have only it would have only in reality have happened once as it did in this world because God is beyond time and space. Thus, even in this case, the sufferings of Christ would have only happened to God and Christ once. This is not a dogma, but a hypothetical speculation. So that's for what it's worth. I'm not going to get focused on those things, but there is a scripture that says this. It says here, For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And heaven could be referring to the whole universe beyond the earth and most likely is. So we just leave those things as unknowns and with hypothetical speculation that is not of any significance to the essential doctrines of the faith that are the doctrines that result in union with God and a godly relationship with God that are essential because of that. And then there was Leviticus here. And I'm not going to go into all of this because to preach on all of these things and these symbolism it would be extensive. Um, we read this, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, or the, before the world was created. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it is only once that it has happened in this universe. There's no doubt about that. Although the way when there's many planes of time, that once can happen in a multifaceted way, possibly hypothetically. But that's not of significance. We want to go on and really hear what God is saying by his spirit to the churches. And so on Wednesday, I will just touch on some of these things for time. Both of these chapters bring forth the theme of not despising God but bringing forth great reverence and respect before God by keeping his word out of love for God. To do less is to despise God and to bring judgment. And what we have here is we have the well-known account, historical account, of the priests that carried the Ark of God. And it says here in 2 Samuel 6, 6-16, And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his heir, and there he died 
by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And we received this recently in a message. So God is emphasizing this more than once, this account. And what happened is David left, had the ark moved immediately into the closest house, I guess, which was the house of Obadiban. Obadiban. And then he discovered that because the ark was there, there was tremendous blessing happening to his house. See, he at first had, because of God's holiness that is so severe in corruption, he and, and the result of the death of someone he knew, he began to have a wrong perception of maybe God is this so holy that he's like a dictator. He had maybe he was beginning to have not recognize that the integrity of God's love, which is his holiness, is actually very, very good. Holiness is what births wholeness in your inner being. Purity is what births wholeness in your inner being. You're not controlled or manipulated by the temporal realm that has corruption in it and is used to try to corrupt you. So David recognized this, that God, after all, is really good. It's just that he is so pure that he will not tolerate corruption, and his love is so pure. And so he saw that God's love is good, that is not impure. And he comes to bring the ark of God home, and he offers an animal sacrifice every six paces, paces all the way back to where they're going to have the ark of God. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And this is the religious spirit that people can have that despises people's liberty of love and expressing their love for God. And we got to be very careful that we don't allow ourselves to become that way. To despise those that are expressing such a lavish love for God that it may be offensive to the tendency to be prim and proper. That doesn't mean that we act like um, deliberately act foolish and that is not of God either. The word of God is clear that when people come into your midst, if you're all speaking in tongues, they might think you're mad. But if they come into your midst and you're all prophesying, they will have their thoughts or their heart will be exposed and they will know God is in your midst. If you're acting like all a bunch of wackos, how would you think the glory of God is manifested in that? When we experience the presence of God, we can be very free like King David to dance with all our heart. There's nothing wrong with that. But people can go to a point where they have strange fire. And they're putting their own spirit in place of God, seeking experience over integrity. We are never to put experience first over truth. We walk in the reality of who God is first. And that is a reality that is in conformity to a relationship of great awe and reverence. And if you're in a place 
where it's just all giddy and shallow, and there isn't the atmosphere of reverence as well that bursts humility, you're in a place where there are the rough places that have not been made smooth and the crooked places that have not been made straight and where the enemy is also in the midst with a Hyundai spirit, if you can call it that, which is a counterfeit spirit. And you can have the counterfeit tongues, you can have counterfeit everything. If you are operating out of seeking experience more than out of the genuine fear of God that bursts integrity and uprightness and the uniqueness of who you are. I have seen meetings where because the leadership all thinks it's a big thing to go into holy laughter, everyone's laughing. I'm sorry, brothers and sisters. Not everyone's the same. One may be moved to laugh. Another may be moved to cry. But when people start following one another and not following the anointing within them and being who they really are before God, you get a bunch of homogenous bricks and you can get wackiness that misrepresents the glory of God and that is an evidence that people have not really repented of their sins, that they don't have the true fear of God and that they're seeking experience but they're really filled with a lot of materialistic motivations and desires for the pleasures of this world so that you have a Laodicean church of whom the Lord said, you say you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and you don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I have seen so many things. Winds of doctrines that come and go through the body of Christ where people are into casting out demons and that becomes a thing and they're all doing it to one another. Oh my, everyone has a demon. I'm telling you these things are distortions and winds of doctrines that come and grow. Yes, there are Christians that can have, because of compromise in their lives and because they haven't repented, be in bondage to mnemonic powers. But let's not go to the right hand or to the left. Let us be in the true fear of God, which brings us to the place of humility where we don't seek anything out of an impure motive, not even experience itself. We walk by faith and it's faith that overcomes. And yes, God gives us many experiences, but they are tempered and they are overridden by the truth that we respond to by faith. I could go on talking. Now, in this passage, the other passage that was gotten was very different, but definitely had the same theme. It was Ezekiel 17. And basically, there's a parable giving, given here about various trees. But basically, what is being said here is that the king of Judah... made a covenant with the king of Babylon that he would be faithful to him and would come under his leadership. But then he broke his covenant with the king of Babylon and, and went and fled for Egypt for help against the king of Babylon. And the Lord is saying, 
you despised the king of Babylon. You did not show him respect. You broke your covenant with him after you said you made a covenant with him. And he was pointing out, this is a symptom in your heart of your relationship with me. You broke your covenant with me. And it's manifesting now in the fact that you broke your covenant with the king of Babylon. And because you did, and because you trusted in Egypt, therefore you are going to come under serious judgment and suffer the serious consequences of death and so on. And really a terrible consequence because you despise me. And because you despise me, that despising was manifested in your relationships with the world, which was used by the enemy to bring judgment on you. Because you were prey to the enemy, and you were prey to the enemy because you refused to repent of your idolatry and your sin with the prophets rising early, warning you against these things, and you continued in your way to the point that I brought Babylon to judge you. And then you fled to Egypt and broke your covenant with Babylon. Therefore, now Babylon is going to seriously judge you, not just take you as a captive to another land. And that's basically the long and short of what happened there. So the emphasis again is on showing genuine reverence and respect in our relationship with God, to not despise our relationship with God by loving the world rather than him and having a hard heart because of our loves for the world. And Christians today are played with loves for the world that they think are fine. And Paul the Apostle himself said that we have liberty to do pretty well, you know, anything that isn't sin. But I will not be un brought under the bondage of any of these things. The problem is when people drink wine, they often come under the bondage of becoming drunks, whether that's the wine of the gods of amusement where people spend hours watching sports and the pastors get up and they talk about the hockey game and everything and their messages. And I'm telling you, God is displeased with that because so many people are stumbled and they spend hours in that and you are encouraging it. Instead of being an example of being coming out of the world and being separate from those things, doesn't mean you can't do things like that and that, oh, it's, you know, you there's no hard and fast rule here. But the issue is, are we walking with God? Are those things eclipsing our love relationship with God? Materialism, many other bondages. God is calling us as a people to come out of these things. And then on Thursday, I received 1 Kings 19 and Daniel 10. And also Haggai later, because I wanted to spend some more time, I just read it, basically, and quickly noticed a very obvious theme. But in 1 Kings 19 and Daniel 10, in both those chapters, the word of God comes by an angel to a man of God. When they are in great weakness and expressing with humility repentance on behalf of the people of God. That's what happens in both of those chapters far more than just coincidence when you cast lots and you get this happening over and over. First Kings 19, Elijah is requesting for himself in verse 4, he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough 
Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under the juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God, which is actually the Mount where Mount Sinai is too, where the uh, fire came down. A lot of people don't know that. And it's all blackened at the top. You can look up Ron Wyatt on YouTube and find out about all those discoveries, which are irrefutable. And he came thither onto the cave. And again, I would love to read all of this. Most of us are familiar with this historical account of God displaying his power before him with a powerful wind that breaks the rocks on the mountains and then a powerful earthquake and then a fire and God's voice isn't in that but then he hears the voice of God in the cave and they have that cave today on Mount Horeb they know where that cave is you can see it on YouTube um, and so we have a man of God discouraged and weak and that's when God visits him with an angel and gives him strength and also a word that destroys the enemy. Remember we said earlier that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against him? Well, God's word and our weakness as the enemy is coming against it as a flood and we feel so weak. God is calling us to bring our weaknesses before him and he's going to visit us in our weakness as we are attacked by the enemy. And he's going to give us supernatural strength. And in that supernatural strength, the word of God is going to come forth out of our mouth in power and authority to smite the floods of a wickedness. It's going to happen in the body of Christ as we come into this new order especially. Where his house is a house of prayer and where there's total liberty for each member of the body to function in the gifts of the Spirit as the Spirit moves. And so Elijah is given the word to anoint Jehu, and Jehu slays the idolatrous king Ahab and Jezebel that have led Israel into idolatry. And we have the similar account of an angel coming to Daniel when he is very weak from fasting and so on. And so it says here in Daniel 10, Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned into, in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard, yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground, and behold, a hand touched me which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. 
And he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard. I am come for thy words. And I skipped down to verse 18. Then there came again and touched me, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me and said, O man greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. So you see that Daniel is in great weakness, but the angel comes to strengthen him. And then when he is strengthened, he receives the word of God. It's not a presumptuous word. It comes out of the power of the Spirit with authority. Remember what happens in the last days when the two prophets, fire comes out of their mouths and devours the enemy. The indwelling Holy One is a consuming fire of love in us and he's going to come with authority out of the mouths of those that are walking a holy life. And corporately the body of Christ that is living in that way. He will speak his prophetic word of authority. And it will smite the enemy. Even though we are outnumbered. With a flood that's overwhelming us. The same will happen in the nation of Israel at this time as the enemy is coming against Israel from all sources. In their weakness they will cry out to God. And God will bring the deliverance and the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39 to bring in a mighty harvest of souls in these last days. He has a plan to make the world know that he alone is God. And all of these idolatrous gods that people are worshiping will be devoured by the fire of his jealousy in the last day. That is what is going to happen. Fear not is the emphasis. And the same in the third one that I was chosen was Haggai. The same thing is there. Fear not. Who is left among you that saw this house in her former in her first glory? And how do you see it now? It is, is it not in your eyes? Can comparison is nothing? And there's too much but what 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 is God saying here in the end? Listen to what he says. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel. See, the emphasis is not to be weak, to be strong, not to fear, but to be strong. Saith Yahweh, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith Yahweh, and work, for I am with you, saith Yahweh of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt. So my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not, for thus saith Yahweh of hosts. Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory. And saith Yahweh of hosts, the silver is mine, and the gold is mine. It's not the global elise. Saith Yahweh of hosts, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith Yahweh of hosts. 
and in this place will I give peace, saith Yahweh of hosts. And he will. And he will. What he wants is the glory in your community, in your church. Are you going to let God move through the body? Are you going to let each member function? Are you going to return and become his house of prayer? I've written a book. It's titled God, Headship, and Body Evasion. You can get it on Amazon. The cover looks different than this now. A little bit different. Somewhat, you know, maybe, I don't know, 30% different. It's about 252 pages of what you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the Godhead, headship of Jesus Christ in your local assembly. This is what's going to conquer the nations with the gospel and destroy this flood of corruption and evil demonic madness that people are filled with as they're manipulated by their own temporal desires and delusions and false demonic belief systems that they have been demonized and hell made hell contagious with. They're an anti-existent, anti-life state of being that is worse than, than a non-existence that is eternal torment forever if they do not repent. Both of these chapters now, we go to the last one that I'm going to share. And the last one was Joel 2 and 1 Thessalonians 5. And both of these chapters are describing the latter days. Just before the return of Jesus Christ, Joel talks about the Lord's army. And in 1 Thessalonians, it's about the last days too. And it talks about putting on the armor of God. That's what God is calling us to do in these last days. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, it says in Joel, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word, for the day of the, of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto Yahweh your God for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him and even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Yes. God is wanting us as his people to really turn with all our heart to him like this and to fast and pray. If we do that across the nation of the United States for three days of fasting and prayer or do an Esther fast if you can, you might not be healthy enough maybe to do that, but at least, you know, there should be a lot of people that really turn with all their heart and fast and pray. Listen, if the people of Nineveh that were so wicked, the king called them all to fast and pray, every single human being, including cattle and everything, not to touch liquid or food for three days. Now, people can for survive for seven days without liquid or food. That's a known because there's known cases. If you're in generally good health, I'm not suggesting you do that, of course. 
But if that could happen back then, that there was such a repentance. Will Nineveh rise up in judgment against us because we refuse to repent in these last days? Or will we be the generation of them that seek thy face, O Jacob? Will we be the generation of them that cry out and turn with all our heart and rend our heart and not our garment and cry out unto God and seek him? If you want to see deliverance in the nation of Israel, if you wanted to see deliverance in your nation, in the United States or Canada or whatever nation you're in, from this flood of wickedness, you need to turn with all your heart and repent of the gods of amusement, of pleasure, of materialism, of idleness. God has called the body of Christ to walk in purity and holiness and to redeem the time because the days are evil. I want to experience his heartbeat of love in my heart with tears for the lost. And I know whenever I set aside to seek God or this people like this, it's actually a wonderful feast because you feel such a heartbeat of his love deep within you. Even though you may feel some mortification of your body, it wasn't that hard a number of times I've done this myself. And I've rarely done it. But, you know, a number of times I have. I thought it was going to be really hard and it was really high because God's presence was so wonderful. Oh, get thirsty for God, brothers and sisters. Let's turn to him. Let's give it our all. Let's be winners. Let's be overcomers. That's what he's called us to be, nothing less. Let's give it our all. Let's not shrink back and be asleep. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. It goes on. It says, spare thy people, O Yahweh, and give not thine inheritance to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their Almighty's in the original, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then will Yahweh be jealous for his land and pity his people. And it goes on, and I cannot read everything for time. And it says this, that God will restore all the terrible loss do you want all the loss that is happening in the United States to be restored? Yes, do all your diligence to have a integrity in the elections and to fight the corruption that way. But remember not to trust in these things, but to ultimately turn to God like this in your churches. This is what God's wanting in your churches, brothers and sisters. It'll be so glorious. It'll be so wonderful. Multitudes will be saved. I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten and the crankworm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am the Lord in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. And then it says this, and it shall come to pass after all this happens. When this mighty turning of God happens, it is about to happen, where we seek God like this, and we really mean business, and we're not into hype and weirdness and all the wackiness and false teachers there are around, 
and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters, yes, there's coming a mighty outpouring like there was in the day of Pentecost, but even greater. It's not going to come on those that are not repenting. It's going to come on those that are seeking God. And they will know their God and they will be strong and do exploits. And God is calling the body of Christ to come out of the world and become his bride church, to become Christian community as never before. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions and upon my servants and upon my handmaids in those days will I pour out of my spirit and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke and the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Brothers and sisters, Brother Tim Horn prophesied that on April the 13th of 2029, that asteroid would hit the earth. All of his prophecies to come true, it may well come true. It could be, and we know that in Matthew 24, it's very clear that when this happens, when the moon becomes like blood and the sun is darkened because of this asteroid hit, most likely, we know that when this happens, it says that then the Lord will gather his elect from the four winds of heaven. It's then that it happens. And it's then that all, every eye shall see him and they'll call for the mountains and the rocks to fall in as he comes to return and to reign upon the earth with his saints. This is coming sooner maybe than you think. And what do we read in Thessalonians? It confirms what I received in Joel. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. As travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. If you are walking in a close relationship with God, you will know the times and seasons we are in doesn't mean that we become those that are survival freaks. It means that we become those that are ready to lay down our lives and preach the gospel as never before. And yes, maybe God will show us wisdom so we can help others survive, survival gear and so on. You're all the children of light, the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. And that's why I watch. I'll tell you the two newscasts I watch a lot. I watch The War Room with Steve Bannon because there's very honest, sourced, good news that is exposing all the corruption that's going on there. And I watch Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson in Canada here. Both of them you can get on my websites. There's the links there on the homepage a little ways down on ultimatemeaning.com as well as loverealize.com. I noticed they're crossed out in ultimatemeaning.com, but the links work. I think it's just some people trying to hinder those links from being used that are up to bad intentions because I didn't put those cross links on the, there. But anyhow, this is what God is saying. 
to the churches at this hour. He wants us to come out of our sleep, as it says here, and to put on the whole armor of God, as it mentions here, right where I'm looking at. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even also, as you also do. <clears throat> this has been a long message. So thank you for listening to this message. I appreciate your support through prayer, through purchasing my book or whatever other means you would like to do through my site at loverealize.com. And of course, the other site is good too, Ultimate Meaning. Thank you for watching this message.